This is part two of a two-part episode featuring an apologetics AMA, Ask Me Anything, that I, Joel Sedecase, did on the Discord politics server earlier in July of 2021. If you haven't done so yet, you might want to go back and listen to part one, although you don't need to listen to part one for part two to make sense. I also want to let you know that the first question in part two is not appropriate for kids. That's just the nature of these AMAs. People can literally ask anything they want. So if you've got kids listening, fast forward to the six minute mark and it should be safe from that point on. Quick request, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would you please give us an honest five-star rating and review? In fact, why not just pause right now and give us that honest five-star rating and write a quick review for us. The reason why is that really helps us get the word out about the ThinkPod. Also, if you're looking for more apologetics resources, head on over to thethink.institute. That's our website, and you can contact me through the website, and also you can get access to a ton of apologetics, evangelism, and biblical worldview resources right there. And If you like the ministry, if you like the Think Institute, you've been blessed by it, can I encourage you to prayerfully consider partnering with us in a prayerful and financial way. You can go to give.crew, that's C-R-U dot org slash 1018841. Thank you guys so much for listening. Think Squad, I appreciate you. I hope this makes you think. Um, We have another guy online. Thanks, Trendy. You can move on up again when we got a chance. Um, we have praying on China's downfall, uh, up with a question. Invite me up, buddy. Floor is yours. Hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, what's up, Bill? You remember me? Hey. Um, do... Happy Pride Month. Yeah. What's that? I don't know. Like, my previous name was Happy Pride Month. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah, man. Yeah, man I'm doing pretty good. Yo, alright, so, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like, um, I was like, what, uh, uh, what, I'm a funny, you know, not funny, but, you know, light-hearted question now, we'll sure. have to go on to like a serious one. Alright, um, <clears throat> what does the Bible say about getting head? What does the Bible say about what? What? Uh, what does the Bible say about getting head? Um, well, okay, so... You don't have to answer if you don't want to. No, it's all right. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so first of all, the Bible taught... So outside of marriage, uh, that would be classified as fornication, sexual immorality, uh, not good, sinful. Okay. Um, within marriage, um, if you're... Here, here's, here's my stance on it. If your conscience allows it, and your wife's conscience allows it. Um, there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Uh, it's an intimate sexual act between a uh, husband and wife. And, um, and, and, you know, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing inherently sinful about it. Um, I am, your question was about that one particular activity. And, I'm, and that's not a statement about any other activity other than. Now, oh, yeah. Okay. So my, my basis around that question, right? Like, from, a, from a shit like I've heard, um, you know, like, um, what is it? Like Catholic girls, you know, they, they do, oh, you know. Hey, 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 by the way, yo, man, so like, hey, hey, uh, if you can't keep the questions cleanish, that'd be. I'm that trying to clean, keep it clean as possible before I move on to my more sure. serious one. Pray, praying on China. Right. I'm, I'm also I'm also not a Roman Catholic. Important talk. I feel like this is kind of important, though, don't you think? Because like, um, what was it? Sex before marriage, like, kind of a big part. But uh, like to me personally, well, actually, no, just object. 
factually basically what i'm trying to speak on is like um from my know like abstinence is like a kind of big part of like let's say more like religion especially like um you know christianity but from like from things i've read like data and all this kind of stuff it seems to be that abstinence really has no effect whether or not um young people tend to um you know do those t- types of activities it really just seems to be, be like it's kind of um, pointless in the end because even even though is this a, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you playing on China. Is this a question? Oh no, 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 yeah, I'm, no. I was just saying like my basis. I'm, actually, yeah, like, I can you like can you like kind of answer that one? Kind of this like what your, your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll answer it real quick and then we should move on. So you're asking a Christian about um, an ethical or and moral question, you know, moral issue. So you might not see um, some sort of pragmatic response that or a result that you might expect to see or want to see or something like that. Although I would actually totally disagree with you. I think the studies show the exact opposite of what you just said. Um, But that's, you know, we don't, we don't root our ethics and our morality in uh, the latest sociological survey. We root them in God's word. And so God's word is very clear what he designed men and women for and what he designed sex for. Sex is a very good thing. It's God's idea. um, And it's designed for husband and wife and uh, it's intricately bound to procreation and uh, to the family. And it's meant to be done within a covenant relationship, a, a lifelong covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. So you might not like that, but that doesn't change what God's word says. Yeah, no, no, it's, um, and we, I'm sorry, man. We have to, we have to end it there. Sorry, no worries. Maybe you can come back around, though. Oh, oh, all right, so. Thanks, uh, praying on China. Yeah, man. I guess um, when it'll be my turn again, we can go yeah, into no more Okay, thanks. It's cool. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for praying, um, movie audience. Ah, wants to come back up again. Ah, hey, you're up, buddy. What's up? Hey. Uh, okay. So I actually want to pick up on what he said, but like a little easier to uh, ask. Okay. Just, just if you can answer it, because it seemed like you were having a hard time um, with the eth- ethnicality of it. What about medical weed? Is that what he was saying? Pot, like that stuff? When he was asking about um, if that's ethical or allowed? No, I didn't hear him asking about that. I think he was asking about something else. But uh, medical weed? Yeah. What about that? Like, is that is is even drugs? Is that permitted? Man, that you know, good question. Um, so. Uh, are, we, are we talking about when you say medical weed? You mean medicinally to to cure you of some ailment? Correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, what? No, that that wouldn't be unethical. What the Bible condemns is drunkenness, um, and we could lump getting high into that uh, because it's an it's an altered state. Um, the Bible. We have to be careful too because the Bible also condemns something called pharmacoia, if I'm pronouncing that right, or pharmakeia. Um, it's translated as sorcery oftentimes, but if you know anything about shamans and the the world of sorcery, which hopefully you don't know too much, um, they will often use hallucinogenic drugs, psychotropic drugs, to achieve these altered states in which they supposedly speak to gods, demons, spirits, things like that. Um, like mushrooms and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that is that's condemned, and then uh, drunkenness is condemned. So, you know, sometimes people use the idea of medical marijuana as an excuse to just use, you know, marijuana recreationally. 
and um because they want to get high and so that would be that would fall under the list of things that god did not create us to do god designed us to be sober-minded does that mean you know if you're of legal age you can't have a, a drink a drink of alcohol um no absolutely not what the bible condemns is drunkenness um and and so uh we are to approach life sober-mindedly god gave us a mind he doesn't want us to waste it um so but but medical marijuana if it's not you know hallucinogenic psychotropic if you're not taking it to get high or under the pretense of getting high um you know obviously you'd want to look and see if, if it's actually effective you'd want to look and see if it has any other negative side effects there's always these investigations that we want to do into these medicines but um but you know responsible use for medical purposes you know totally sanctioned biblically as far as i can see okay um one other thing so with with god and all being like a do you do you think god made the bible before i ask the next question you know we i, I really want to try to limit it to I, the next one. I really want to limit it to one question just because we i think we still have some people waiting oh okay yeah, we got a few people. Uh, if you want to follow up with that, Ed, um, we can uh, we can come up next round. But we have uh, I'll go ahead and kick you off. Sorry, buddy. And then we have question, Carson next. He's going to ask a, a friend for uh, a question for a friend. You're you're inviting up Carson. Carson, you're asking for a friend. Hello. Hey. Can y'all hear me? Loud and clear. Yes. Oh, not anymore though. Try if you're on mobile, try push to talk. That would uh, usually that works better on this format. Hey Carson, buddy, are you there? <laughs> Okay, Danny, when you want to come back up, I'll put you in. Uh, we'll have Ent Monk, Ent Monk come up. Where are you? Ent Monk. Come on, I'm inviting you up, Ent Monk. Hello? Hello. Can everyone uh, hear me okay? Yep. Hi. Um, yeah, so I had a question about um, the doctrine of the, the mystical body. Oh, did you leave? Oh. I think he may have accidentally left. I did. Oh, he's still up. He's still here. That was awkward. Let me DM him. He might have misclicked something. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, there he is. Got him. Um, there we go. Am I back? I love Joel. Oh. How do I accept? Okay. Sorry about that. Am I? Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Sorry about that. Stage. Yep. Fat finger. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I had a question about um, the doctrine of the mystical body of Christ. Okay. Um, as it's developed, I think, like, Corinthians, I think, is where it's uh, one of the places that it draws from. And, like, the, the idea of the, the church as the, as the body of Christ. Um, and how does, it, like, um, the church seems to be, like, a, a physical body, um, but if Christ's physical body ascended... I guess I'm just, uh, how does that work? Ah, yes. I'm just, I'm just confused and, um, thanks. Yeah, um, man. Solid question. Um, so, right. Christ's physical body did 
physically ascend. It, it is currently seated, I believe, on a throne. You know, um, I don't know exactly how the physical body exists in heaven unless heaven has some sort of physical element to it, or maybe the line between physical and spiritual isn't quite as um, sharp as we maybe sometimes think, uh, which would explain a lot in the Bible, actually. But um, yes, when the Bible talks about the church being the body of Christ. Uh, that it's it's metaphorical language, and it's one of the many metaphors the Bible uses for the church. Another one is the bride of Christ, God's field, God's building, um, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So there are these different metaphors that are used, and you know, body is a very good one because if you think about biblically, like if you look at Ephesians five, the relationship between a husband and wife. A husband is to love his wife as he loves his own body. Um, man, where is it? Is it Second Corinthians where it talks about how the husband is the head of the wife and uh, the man is the head of the woman? So in scripture, the relationship between a husband and wife is like the relationship of a head to a body. You know, you, you, you sever those two and um, neither one's going to do very well. The church and Christ are described using similar language, actually exactly the same language. Christ is the head, we are the body, which just shows you the incredible intimacy and care that Jesus has for his people. I mean, that is amazing. Um, you know, it, and it avoids these two extremes. On the one hand, you've got like um, monism or something, like like an Eastern religious concept where everything is one and we're literally absorbed into the world spirit into Brahman upon death where we're, our our differentiation is is gone our individuality just is gone it, it it is like it's absorbed like a drop of water into the ocean on the other hand you've got something like islam where the closest the muslim can ever get to god is about as close as we are to the moon right now it's forever separated you know contrast that with the biblical position the biblical teaching which says that um the church and Christ are related like husband and wife, like head and body. And not only that, but he indwells us with his spirit. So, um, uh, the church is also the temple of God, you know, whereas where in the Old Testament, God inhabited the temple. Today, God inhabits spiritually the church, um, collectively, but also each, each individual Christian also has received the Holy Spirit, who is also called the Spirit of Christ. So it's metaphysical, uh, metaphorical language, if you will. Uh, it's not meant to describe a physical, um, like Jesus has two bodies or something like that. Um, but it's the same term being used to describe two different things. Um, you know, when, when we take communion or the Lord's Supper, we remember the bread as Jesus's body, his actual physical human body, which was given for us. Um, and, and when we gather together, we are the body of Christ, the, the metaphorical body of Christ coming together in communion and, and, and drawing together with one another under our head, Christ. So, um, yeah, you got to keep those lines separate. Uh, we're not physically the actual body of Christ. We're the metaphorical or, um, uh, what did you say? The mystical body of Christ. Um, and if you're a Christian, you're a member of that body. And uh, I could probably talk more about that, but maybe that answers your question. Yeah, that's great. Thank cool. you. Thanks, Ant Monk. Great question. No worries. Um, I think we had we had Carson coming back, but he's rebooting his computer apparently. So right now, actually, we don't have anybody. Oh, 
we got um, Miles. Miles has a question, so I'm going to go ahead and invite him up. Um, come on up, Miles. Hello. Hello, Miles. Hey, uh, how do I pray? Um, should I call you uh, Mr. Sidekiss or uh, Professor Sidekiss or uh, just Joel? Oh, Joel is more than fine. Joel's fine. Great, great. Thanks, Joel. So I'm curious as to, you're, you're describing how to presuppose something or to have an idea of something or to construct a theory that would relate to the truth in some way, it's necessary to believe in a deity or to have a deity to, to, for that to be valid. Why is that the case? Um, okay, so I'm, I didn't catch all that. Can you say that a little bit slower? Oh, so from, from what you were talking about earlier, it sounds like to have a, an idea of something or to a presupposition, it's necessary for a deity to exist. Like, we can't have an idea of something, like, immaterial without a deity. Oh, uh, got it, got it, got it. Well, what I was talking about there was um, necessary truths, uh, necessarily true propositions. You might, you could take the laws of logic as an example, or the laws of thought, if you want to call them that. You know, A is A, A is not not A. Um, for there to be any necessarily true propositions, um, to believe that is to tacitly or explicitly presuppose the existence of God. So that was what, that was what I was saying. Now I, I kind of go along with Cornelius Van Til, if, if you're familiar with who that is, um, the godfather of presuppositionalism, um, who said that all predication is, uh, presupposes God. Um, if you want to say, you know, this is that, you are, uh, to affirm anything is to presuppose God, even, even, um, tacitly. So, um, so then what your question is, why, why do I believe that? Or, or do you want to, now that I've explained that, do you want to rephrase your question? Well, I guess my question is, why is that the case? Why, why can't you just, it seems like when you prove something, you're saying this is that, it's mm-hmm. self-referential. You're saying, well, this because of the system, it's, it works in, like its own system. Yeah. A, a leads to B. So where does a deity, why is that a necessary piece? Why, why does it not work without a deity? Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so uh, maybe uh, I can think of it in a couple different levels. I'm not sure which, which one's going to be the most sensible. But um, even if we just think about a, a truth claim, this is that. Um, the very concept of truth presupposes God. And um, just just because I uh, I could talk about this at length, and I have talked about it at length, I'm going to give you my web address. It's thethink.institute. And if you search for the very concept of truth, I'm pulling it up right now. If you search for the very concept of truth, uh, it'll it'll pull up my argument on why the very concept of truth presupposes God. And of course, now it's not coming up. So let me see if I can do this. The very concept. Here we go. Is that going to work? Um, uh, essentially, the um, a truth is a is an attribute of a proposition. Um, if you're predicating uh, something, making an, an affirmation or, um, you know, saying that something is true or something is the case, um, what you're doing is you're using language and you are using, you're presupposing logic and you're also assuming that there's an external world out there. You're not speaking into the void. You're not speaking about the void. Um, so language the idea that you think that your words are going to mean the same thing and convey the same concepts that they would have 10 minutes ago. Um, if you say the rock is on the table, you're, 
you're presupposing that there's a continuity and a normality and a regularity to the universe such that language means the same thing. Uh, the meaning of language, the rules of language are not just free form and random, that there's a continuity and a reliability to the universe. That is a, that is a Christian presupposition. It's, it accords perfectly well with the existence of the triune God of scripture, the reality of the triune God of scripture, I should say. Um, logic as well. You know, the, the three fundamental laws of logic, but even if you want to substitute in different laws of logic, if you think that they're necessarily true, um, then, uh, you are, you are presupposing that there are such things as immaterial, absolute, objective, universal, knowable laws, um, governing thought, governing speech, governing the way that we make sense of reality, you know, uh, rationally. That's a Christian presupposition. It makes perfectly well, uh, it makes perfectly good sense and accords perfectly well with a prior belief in the triune God of Scripture. Um, it does not, there is no other metaphysical starting point that, I mean, you can, you can try one, I guess, but, uh, that, that can lead to that kind of conclusion other than the triune God of scripture. And then uh, the external world itself, the idea that you're presupposing that the external world is there. There is such a thing as the real world. You know, the rock is on the table. My hat is on the table. There's such a thing as a hat, such a thing as a table. And that, you, that cosmos is intelligible to me such that there's a correspondence between my own mind and the external world where I can describe things accurately about that external world. So these are all presuppositions that work well, that work perfectly well and have perfect accord with a Christian scheme of reality. And there is no other Christian scheme. There is no other metaphysical basis than the triune God of scripture, wherein these presuppositions make sense um, or, or where you would, arrive at these conclusions. <clears throat> and so that's why I believe it. So, so it's that the, the, the Christian worldview does support these things. And yes. you're pretty certain that um, without this worldview, these things would not work. These, these ideas. Yeah. That, that there, that somewhere along the way, there's going to be a fatal flaw an internal contradiction and inconsistency. Yes. That's a very good answer. I'm very oh. oh, well, thanks. Appreciate it. Great question. Okay, have, have a good day. You too. Good night. <laughs> thanks. Awesome. Okay, cool. So we have uh, Carson coming up next. Let's see here. We invite him up. Yeah, again, sorry about the, uh, the bug with the raise hand thing. I'm on hello. Yeah, no worries. Go ahead, Carson. Hi, Carson. Hey, What's up, Joel? What's How up? You no, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Uh, I just fixed it. All right. My question is, do you believe, do you believe in the book of Enoch? Ah, well, what do you mean by believe in it? Do you believe that it's the written word of God? No. No, you don't. I, I, I do not believe that it is God-breathed scripture. No, I do not. Uh, can you tell me why? What's that? Can you tell me why you believe that? Well, um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I trust that the Holy Spirit made sure that the correct collection of books went into the canon. So Enoch, 
um, I believe outside of the East, uh, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church has not been accepted as canon. Um, I think it also fails the internal consist uh, the the like an internal examination um, that it was written actually by Enoch. Um, it it sure seems to have been written in the intertestamental period. Now that being said, I really enjoy the Book of Enoch. I I worked my way through it. Uh, I think I listened to it on audiobook last year, and I'm very fascinated with it. And I'm very open to the idea that it does contain truth in it. Um, I think it sheds a lot of light on like Genesis six, for example. Um, if nothing else, it tells you what the um the what the zeitgeist was saying in the you know like the 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 common um what do you call it? the spirit of the age was in the first centuries you know like the, the the second temple period um which is when i think it was probably written um i i don't think it's authentic i i which that being said you know jude quotes from it i think that maybe parts of it are it's very possible i'm certainly open to the idea that parts of it are you know, actually written by Enoch. That's not the same as saying that it was um, written or, or that it's, you know, breathed out by God, though. Um, I, I just, you know, I don't think it's it ought to be canonical because I trust the Holy Spirit on that. Um, plus, again, I think it fails an internal test. All right. Thank you. Cool. Nice. Uh, we have Ox. Uh, coming up for a question again. If you have questions, just DM me. For some reason, the raise hand thing is working. It's bugging out, so I can't. I literally can't change it for some reason. Um, go ahead, Ox. Yeah, hi there. Thank, thank you for coming here. And it's always interesting to speak to different people with different perspectives. I agree. I'm more interested. I'm more interested with the timeline. Can Can you uh, like shed some light on? on the timeline of uh, this God or this religion that you believe in. Um, like, as, can you be more specific? Example, Is it like, uh, uh, like example, uh, if you say you're following a scripture, uh, when, uh, what, what kind of timeline are we looking at? Is it dated back like a 900 years, a thousand years, oh. a thousand years? And, and where was the reference? Because uh, I, I think when we look at information and the developments of belief and uh, religion, uh, timeline is utterly important as uh, mm. a critical uh, aspect of regional uh, belief or uh, global widespread belief and uh, the lesser wrong of uh, the existence of God uh, could be easily explained when we look at the timeline. Okay. I'm not sure I fully understand where you're coming from, but maybe I'll take a crack at it and you can tell me if I've answered uh, what you're asking. So sure. the, um, the Christian religion, as you may know, is rooted in, <clears throat> is rooted in, um, Old Testament Judaism. Um, so the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were written by Moses, the prophet, the man of God. And they were, uh, let's see, he would have, he wrote, he wrote those, uh, about 1500, maybe 13 to 1500 BC. Um, what he was writing about went back further, back to the, literally the dawn of creation. 
So there, there is no older, um, no, no other historical or religious text goes back further in terms of creation history, um, that, you know, that we still have, that we know about anyway. Um, so, that, so you've got, you've got Moses describing things from, you know, as I believe about 4000 BC to, uh, his time of about 1500 BC. And then over the course of the next 1500 years, you've got 40 different authors living on three different continents, what we now consider to be three different continents, writing in Aramaic and Hebrew in the Old Testament, and then Koine Greek in the New Testament, um, describing the salvation history of God. So, Moses wrote about the creation of Adam and Eve and how they sinned, how God promised them a savior in Genesis 3.15. And then between Genesis 3.15, all the way up to the, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, and then all the way straight on through to Revelation, you've got this unfolding plan of God where he promised to send a savior, a savior king. And by the time you get to the New Testament, you know a lot about what to expect about the Savior King. And then here comes Jesus, and he fulfills all of these prophecies, predictions, foreshadowings, um, revealing himself to be that Savior King. Then Jesus dies for sins in uh, about 33 AD, somewhere in there, maybe a little bit before, maybe a little bit after. Um, he uh, Three days later, he rose from the dead, and then... 40 days after that, he ascended up to heaven, where from, from which he now rules and reigns over you and me and all creation. Um, he will one day come back and the, the Bible says God will judge the world by him. Um, we don't know when that is, but that's at the end of history. So the biblical timeline stretches from creation all the way to the end. And, um, but it was written, the book was written over a period of 1500 years from uh, about 1500 BC to about probably about 95 AD. It's possible maybe like, maybe that was more like 67 AD. Sure. Uh, I, accept, I, I can uh, fully accept your, your position because uh, if you simply search up Moses, you will see about 13 to 15,000 BCE. But, uh, hundred, but yeah. uh, contrary to that, uh, during that time, uh, there were other, uh, great thinker uh, out there, you know, uh, similar to the East, uh, similar to the Veda, for example. Uh, there will be information about other religion in different regions, uh, that is blossoming, uh, and, it's my strong belief that even during that time, there were widespread uh, information sharing due to trade route being created uh, in different regions. And from the point where you have described that the mere appearance of God is a very short period between the birth of Jesus where they would have entered the platform of religion and to, to pre-assume uh, uh, that his existence contribute to the entire uh, global direction of religion. I I cannot agree with you because you, you can see that the lesser wrong that the world have developed in numerous direction of religions. So what's what's your sorry, Ox, sorry to cut to the chase here. What's your question then? Yes, please. 
So the, the question is based on the timeline that they have described. It, it seems like this religion has selectively chosen a very small region or, or and region uh, to, to exercise the influence. It, it, it does not spread out uh, the timeline because uh, if God is also mighty, he created everything, but yet he does not pre-exist uh, in numerous culture uh, out there way before the 15,000 BC mentioned 1500s region out there yeah yeah um yeah so right so th- there's there's never been a time in history where there wasn't verbal revelation from God God revealed himself to Adam and Eve to um Abel Enoch Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all, uh, all the way down through what, the line. What timeline do you believe Adam and Eve was on? What was the timeline for Adam and Eve? Um, well, Adam and Eve came about during the sixth day of creation. So whenever you date the sixth day of creation, they were there. So yeah, when was that? when was that? Yeah. Probably about four thousand BC. It can be because the Chinese uh, civilization existed four to five thousand BC and beyond. Uh, when you say Adam and Eve was created, uh, no, Chinese well, no, it hasn't. Other civilization, it actually hasn't. So, I mean, would, would that fall under a young Earth theory? Well, it's. I mean, the Earth is as old as everything else. Um, it's. It's sometimes called young earth but actually the earth was actually created before the heavenly bodies yeah so so there's no way the chinese civilization predates the creation of the world obviously um you're yeah but, but you, you're mentioning just a mere 4000 bce yeah? correct bc and even as recent even as recent as this week uh, they, they have already discovered, uh, human exoskeletons, uh, that many scientists endorse is part of the missing link that did back more than 10,000 years. Uh, oh, so you're an evolutionist? I'm not an evolutionist. I, basically, I believe when we look at things and we do the lesson wrong, uh, analogy, the lesson wrong analogy is that, uh, you claim something. Yeah. If somebody cannot challenge it, we can either be unknown, or that can be the less wrong version of what we understand of the world we live in. And then as more information, as humans discover more of the history that we are living in, uh, we gather more information and then as a collective, we come together and question uh, this new evidence and does it make sense? Does, yeah. you know, like... A, well, histor- so Ox, historical inquiry, um, as, I've, as I've said earlier on, I don't know how long you've been listening, but historical inquiry and, and scientific inquiry, a- any kind of inquiry into the into the cosmos and we're talking about trying to uncover our origins and our history and our me you know bound up with that is meaning purpose destiny questions like that you all you always have to approach that with a starting point so if you are coming to the evidence believing that um christianity is false and that the universe is not you, I, I do not believe that the christianity is false. well no I, I, that's why i said if that, that's okay but if if you come with with different presuppositions you're going to interpret the evidence uh differently variously and you're going to interpret the evidence according to the assumptions the preconditions presuppositions that you bring to the inquiry so like like what you just said you're like well no the earth can't be that young because chinese civilization is older than that and i i said well no it's not so here's here's the impasse that we're at um okay i've got uh, i'm interpreting the the evidence through my worldview you're interpreting it through yours who's going to mediate between us this is why we need an epistemological starting point a starting point for knowledge um now what you said earlier was 
the Bible was revealed over too small of a time frame. Well, like I said earlier, the Bible is the most ancient historical source that we have. It, it contains records of, you know, that go back further than anything else. So, um, if you want antiquity, there, there is nothing more ancient than, than, um, the Old Testament. So, you you might not like that fact, but it's not like we have records, you know, textual records from China that, that talk about. Of, it's not a matter of like or dislike. Uh, if we look at the archaeology advancements of our current human civilization, we, we, we barely duck out a fraction of what we can understand about history. And sad to say, many of the more important uh, scripture or material uh, was was created in lesser material, and it was a preserve, and it's very rare. Yeah, you're uh, what you're doing is you're 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 assuming that there were all these other religious texts out there. Uh, you mentioned the Vedas earlier. It's actually a, a common myth that the Vedas predate the. Um, you know, there there may have been some Vedic writings that were poetic, sort of like what we have in the Bible with the Psalms that predate Moses, although that's hotly debated. Um, the Epic of Gilgamesh is another example, but Gilgamesh is a corrupted version of Noah's Flood. Um, so... Don't get me wrong here. I, I, I would like to base it more on a current evidential discovery that we already have. Yeah, I, Ox, the, where we're going to hit an impasse is, and I say this respectfully, you're going to interpret the, the, um, the evidence through your worldview. The question is, what epistemological starting point is going to give you the foundational principles that are going to allow you to even make inquiry in the first place. And if you're not starting with God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible who did keep, don't think that God came into existence when, when, you know, Moses was there or when Jesus was there. God has always been. He created the universe. If you don't start with that God, what's going to end up happening? And I can't flesh it out now because we've got to get to the next person, unfortunately, but um, you will not have foundational principles that will lead you to a conclusion that says, I can rationally uh, investigate the world because the world is intelligible to me. Um, you, you can try another metaphysical scheme, but if you're just starting from yourself and you don't think that you're God, you're, you don't have that framework. So I know that's, that's quick and dirty, but I'm trying to make my answers shorter so we can get to the next person. Okay, Thank you for addressing the question. Have a nice day. Same to you, Ox. I appreciate it. No worries. All right. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Sorry, I'm, I'm talking in DMs trying to figure out the, the raising hand issue. But we have Hogan next again. So until we figure it out, um, oh, uh, or just DM me if you have, if you want to go. I'm good to go for a little bit longer, but I'm like getting pretty tired. So we'll come like five o'clock this morning. Yeah. So, but um, so we have. I guess maybe how, how long do you want to go for, Joel? Uh, would you want to say fifteen more minutes? Yeah, sure. We can do 15 more minutes. That'd be fine with me. Okay. Um, yeah, that'd so, be good. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and invite Hogan up, and then we can go. Cool. All right, come on up. Hogan, you're up. Hey, Joel. Hey, question. Hogan. Good to talk to you. Hey, so you kind of follow up with your thing with the box. Was you know, I've had this you know debate with um, my fellow Christians as well, and um, when I read through Genesis, I see it 
that the earth wasn't created and it was created in three days, but not three days according to, or six, seven days, but not seven days according to us, but seven days according to God. Because God didn't create time on earth until the fourth day. No, when you say God didn't create, uh, okay, I don't want to jump in. Time, so what's your time on earth until the fourth day? Okay, so what's your is that just sort of a, like food for thought, or do you have a question specifically? So yeah, my my question would be is I don't know if you ever read into that to see how you know when you read through Genesis, he doesn't put the sun and the the moon in the sky to signify time for us until the fourth day. I see. Got it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, fair question. So, um, would you agree that there's a difference between time and the way we measure time? Yes. Okay. Um, so, the fact that God doesn't create the sun until day four doesn't mean that there wasn't time. I mean, clearly, you've got duration happening the, the first three days. Um it, it, don't don't neglect the fact too that it also says that there was evening and there was morning, and um, so God seems to be trying to make it pretty clear that um, we are talking about literal twenty four hour periods because there's evening and there's morning and there's evening and there's morning, and the pattern stays exactly the same between day three, four, or five. It's not. I mean, the exact same words are used. The only time you don't have um, that. The temporal language, you know, evening and morning is in regards to the seventh day. And that's, I think that that's important, not because the seventh day wasn't a literal day, because I do think we see that in Exodus, uh, is it Exodus 13 or Exodus 20, where it talks about the Sabbath, God rested on the seventh day. So that day is, you know, it becomes the pattern for Israel to keep the Sabbath. But um, the reason why the Genesis seventh day is sort of left rhetorically open, like it doesn't say, and that was the end of the seventh day, is because that's going to be very important in Hebrews. Um, the author of Hebrews is going to go back to Genesis and say, see, we're still in that seventh day. Um, that seventh day of God's rest. And he, he does it theologically to say, we can enter into Christ's rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is in Hebrews 4. And, um, you know, the, the author of Hebrews does that a couple of times. He does that with the Sabbath and he does it with Melchizedek. He says Melchizedek is a man without genealogy, without father and mother, without death. You know, he lasts forever. Well, Melchizedek was a real man. Um, but rhetorically, he stands for Christ, who didn't, you know, who, who has existed eternally and always will. The seventh day was a real day, but rhetorically, theologically, it stands for God's rest for his people. Um, <clears throat> but none of that negates the language of Genesis, which is written as as a historical account um, using what we would call, you know, uh, commonplace temporal language, evening and morning. Um, this is not a hill that I die on, but I am firmly convinced that the creation week was um, literal seven days. Anytime you have and I'm not a Hebrew expert. I, I, I literally do not even read Hebrew. So don't, don't pin me that down on this. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here. But, um, whenever you have the word yom as it's used for day in Genesis, accompanied by a number and a transition like evening and morning, it always means day, 24 hour period. 
so I, I don't see how a traditional, um, you know, uh, his, gra- grammatical historical reading of Genesis can get you a conclusion other than we're talking about actual days. And even if you want to say it's, you know, days according to God, well, the Apostle Peter says a thousand years is like a day. So, I mean, unless you're going to say like the first three days were 3,000 years and then the, the last four days were, you know, four 24 hour periods, that doesn't really jive with what God says in Exodus. And then also that doesn't really jive with evolution or, you know, old earth frameworks anyway. So you're kind of like, you'd kind of have to invent your own school of interpretation, I think. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. Cause I would see it as, because in the first he says he created the evening and the mornings were created, but that was the evenings and the mornings for God. Um, well, what does that mean for God to have e- evening and morning, though? No, that was his, his signif- signifying time to us from his perspective. So, like you said, a thousand years, uh, one day for us is a thousand years for God. So, those seven days is, is like 7,000 years. Well, yeah, but you just said that the fourth day is when God created time on earth. So, then wouldn't four or five and six and seven presumably change? He's still, when he's saying evening and morning were the first day, that is celestial evening and morning. That's evening and morning to God, not to us. Okay. It's an interesting idea. So, let's say if what? Adam and Eve were created at the tail end of the sixth day, so yeah. like the last hundred years, so they would live through the sixth day into the seventh day. Yeah. But, I mean, do you, I mean, like, that's an interesting idea, but how do you, how do you support that biblically that, you know, God has evening and mornings? Like, what does that, what does that mean? Well, it's like we, we weren't the first creation that God created. So other creations also observe time. Like, whoa, what do you mean by that? You mean like the animals? The first thing that God created. I mean, God created the angels before he created man. How do you support that biblically? Well, it talks about in like Genesis, how, you know, the the sons of God, and it talks about how they came down from heaven. It, it You know, the, the book of Genesis is a history of Earth, not the history of, you know, all the things that God created in the universe. Oh, I don't know about that, because... It starts out by saying in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then it proceeds to tell you how he did it. Right, but he doesn't say what was created in the heavens. He said he created the heavens, but it doesn't specify what was in the heavens that he created. Well, we, we know that he created the heavenly bodies at the same time he created the sun and the moon, correct? Right. So, you know, what's what's your idea? That there was just this big giant void of space and uh, there was nothing in it? Or... No, I was saying there's, there was other creatures that were created before he created man. Yeah, I don't know. I used to think that way, and I I really um, – the only thing that I can possibly see that, that, that maybe points to that is when it talks about the morning stars singing together, um, you know, at, at creation. You know, that might be a reference. I think that's in Job. Clearly, I haven't researched that recently, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. This idea that – we're talking about that God has evening and morning and there's this other, I, I do think that God does not experience time according to us, but you said yourself, it's talking about time on earth. Um, 
I, I mean, even like the angels in heaven right now, they don't experience time how we experience time. There is another time that they're experiencing. Well, that's that's an interesting idea, but how would you support that biblically? Well, time, 24-hour periods, is a earthly time. It's a time that we observe. So how would, let's say, if a being up in, in heaven experience, would experience time differently than we do? Well, if, yeah, sure. I mean... In the sense that they wouldn't see the sun rising over their heads, yeah. But you know, I don't see anything in scripture that says that an angel experiences duration differently. I mean, maybe they do. It's very possible. But I'm just saying, scripture is silent on that. Um, and, and, yeah, I've I've given a lot of thought to God's relationship to time, um, and basically, I think we're looking at two separate questions. On the one hand, does God experience time differently than us? Yeah, He does. I think scripture is clear on that. On the other hand. Can you can you do a faithful genre analysis of Genesis, you know, chapter one, chapter two, and come to a conclusion that at one point it's speaking sort of poetically or apocalyptically, and then at some point it changes to like actual historical um, earthbound history? You know, I haven't seen anybody be able to draw that line. I don't. I wouldn't know where to draw that line. Yeah. It says right here. It says, "And God created the light day yeah. and the dark night." In the evening and morning were the first day. Where is that? That's Genesis one. Genesis um, one five. Okay. So that's before he created the sun and the moon and gave us as that as a time for us to observe days and years and months. Yes, this the, day and this night. But the, but those the day and night that were created for us. Well, no, that that doesn't necessarily follow because the um, the great lights. The greater light, so I'm looking at verse 16, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night as well as the stars. Um, right. But that's the, the third day. Or the, yeah, the fourth day. Yeah, correct, correct. So in verse 14, then, when it says, they will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. That doesn't, that's, that. I mean, a, a simple reading of that it just means exactly what it says that, you know, how do we tell what, yeah. like, a, like the lunar calendar. Um, right. But those are signs and seasons for us. But then when you look at the first day, it says day, he created day and night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The light is called day and the night, the darkness is called night. Fourth day. So no, but the day and the night that was created is not the same day and night that was created on the fourth day. No, he, so so where it says God called light day, um, he's not calling the light a 24-hour period. That would be an example of the word day being used not as a 24-hour period. It's talking, it's daylight, you know, it's look outside, is it day or night? Oh, it's day. You know, we don't, but that doesn't tell me what day it is or how long the day lasts. That just means there's a difference between day and night. You know, there's darkness and light. There's day and night. It's just God creating order in the in the cosmos. It, that doesn't mean, you know, that there's a... He's not talking about some period of time that's non-24 hours. It's just it's just talking about daylight and, and darkness is night. I mean, that's just... Yeah, but then that's why he specifies in the next verse, it says evening and morning were the first day. Right. So, it correlates with the previous verse showing that the evening and morning were the first day that were created. Well, no, it, even if you, I mean, that, that doesn't exactly coordinate because he calls the, he says light, day, darkness, night. 
and there was evening and there was morning. He doesn't say, it's not a recapitulation of what he just said. He doesn't say, and there was daylight or, you know, there was morning and evening, which would be a direct, you know, recapitulation. He called the light day, the darkness night, there was morning and there was evening. Instead, it's, it's flipped. It's, there was evening and there was morning. Um, so I read that and I see we're talking about, um, a, a boundary marker that is, yes, marked by a transition into darkness and then light, but we're, we're talking about something that is characteristic of a 24 hour period, something that happens every 24 hours. And I think that that's supported by the fact that you don't see any other language used for any other day in the, you know, in the creation week. So like if day six is a, 24 hour period, then day one has to be, you know, and if day seven is a 24 hour period, which Exodus seems to say that it is when it says God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, you know, I, I don't see how you avoid the conclusion that God's talking about an actual uh, week, seven actual days. Otherwise, you know, what does it mean that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh? And therefore Israel is supposed to work six days and rest on the seventh. You know, if, if that's the principle, then that would mean Israel was supposed to work for 6,000 years and then rest and, you know, on the seven thousand years, he gave us time on the fourth day. And but the days and nights that he was referring to was the celestial time period. Yeah, I think you're importing that in. I mean, respectfully, I, I just how I, you know, I've jived with the old Earth, old, old new Earth. Old oh, I see. That I don't see it as yeah. for our periods according to us, but actual time periods according to God. Sure. So you you might really enjoy the work of Hugh Ross and Reasons to Believe. He talks about, I don't know if you would fully line up with him, but you'd be more in line with him than like a created, creation evolutionist. I mean, a um, uh, what do they call themselves? Evol- evolutionary creationist or... Uh, uh, I don't believe in evolution at all. I mean, I, yeah. I believe that everything was created. Well, so real, real quick... It's just different for me. Yeah, I... I, I I don't go there with you, Hogan. I don't think the biblical evidence supports it. And I will say, I don't think that the geological evidence is there for an old earth. I mean, that's a whole separate issue. We've been talking about just, you know, interpretation of Genesis 1. But if we want to talk about the actual scientific evidence, I do not think um, in any way, shape, or form that the archaeological evidence supports an, an old earth, an earth older than 4,000 years. Uh, sorry, 6,000 years. So, that's a whole separate question, but maybe we can talk about it another time. Okay. All right. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. No worries. Hey, um, thanks so much, Hagen. All right, guys. This, that's it. Um, I'm closing this, the shop down. Close it down. Um, and, but Joel, we also just talked about that. So, um, hey, Joel, thank you so much for uh, swinging by, answering some questions, being um, as nice and as courteous as always. And, Hey guys, stay tuned because next week we're going to do the same thing. Yeah. Have the uh, closing records or uh, regards or, you know, um, we do have the link to your stuff in announcements, but if you want to make mention of it. Yes. And actually, um, I don't know that I got to go back and check the dates that I sent you. I don't know if I can do next week. I'm not. Okay. I thought. I thought I had scheduled the next one for two weeks after, but I'll have to go back and check. If I did, no I apologize. These guys, uh, these plebs don't know all the schedules. No. <laughs> usually, you know, people, most people just pay attention to what's announced today. Yes. And, or, you know, so it's cool. No worries. All right. Well, I've got the, the next one that I've got is, um, well, we, you and I can talk, but I've got, I've got July 22nd is the next one that I'm. Oh, okay. Cause we're going on. Yeah, that'll work. A little vacation, uh, but, um, 
But yeah, man. Oh, okay. So anybody who wants to, oh, let's see. Um, if you, if you want to hear more from me, I've got a podcast. If you search for the Think Institute, um, you can find me on there. You can go to my website, thethink.institute. And if you're a Christian or a like-minded individual and you want to support the work that we do, we, my wife and I, we are fully funded by like-minded individuals. Um, we call them ministry partners, people who partner with us. And, um, that allows me to keep food on my kid's table and uh, to do the work that I do in Christian ministry. And so, um, you're more than welcome to check that out. If you go to give.crew, cru.org slash one zero one eight eight four one. Um, some exciting things we have in the, in the uh, lineup coming up, Lord willing, over the next year, I'm working on an apologetics curriculum for eighth through twelfth graders, and then um, we're kind of in the process of discovery right now, really trying to sharpen up the focus of the Think Institute. And so, uh, if you stay tuned to our website, you'll see some exciting announcements coming out and um, some new things that we're working on. But uh, but yeah, I'd say the podcast, the Think Institute podcast, Think Pod, is a good way to get engaged. Go to our website, and then um, again, that giving address is give.crew.org/slash one zero one eight eight four one, uh, or you can just catch my next AMA on Discord with Ellipsis. Awesome! Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks, Joel. All Appreciate right. it, man. I'm gonna close. I'm gonna destroy the room. All right. So, bye. Be destroyed. Bye.